We're going to start with me and then go to you, okay? <laughs> yeah, why don't we start with you and then go to me? <laughs> okay, okay, my name is Kent Dahlgren, and this is... Ruth Glendinning. And we're going to talk about the Anti-Fragile Playbook. Because we're anti-fragile, and we want you to be, too. <laughs> yes. Uh, so now we're recording to the cloud, <laughs> which makes me laugh. Um, good morning, we've got uh, Ruth, and we've got Tanya. Hi, guys. Good morning. I've, um, I've, known, I've known Tanya for, like, I mean, I hate to say this, but like for 30 years, 30 plus years, right? Um, Tanya is someone I know because of, uh, I mean, we're both from Portland area, but uh, I know her because of the Burnside Project. So, you know, we were a fairly surly bunch of um, skater guys and then there was Tanya. And <laughs> I mean, you were like a teenager, right? At the time? Oh yeah, like 15, 16, 16 probably. <laughs> and like Tanya was in the mix, man. And um uh, and then, you know, you fast forward and Tanya um, has a, a saffron farm. So we were going to talk about that, that journey, um, it, sort of within the framing of what Ruth and I have come to recognize as the accidental advocate. It's just somebody who, you know, based on whatever circumstances they've encountered, um, discovered that they would like to not just improve their own condition, but improve the conditions of others. And so, you know, that's sort of the high level framing on it. Do you have anything else to say on that, Ruth, before we just jump in? Uh I, it's, it's really interesting now that we've set this framework, as you said, the accidental advocate, um, people are just showing up, you know, it's, it's like people are drawn to it. And that's one of the exciting things about talking to you, Tanya, is you got in this to heal yourself. And what you're finding is you're actually healing others. And right. that goes back to what Kent always says, healers heal. Right. And, uh, but you also didn't, Think of yourself as a healer you were just a woman finding a way in the world and mm -hmm. looking at your own pain and going boy I bet I don't want anyone else to feel this and you found a way forward so that's what I'm really excited about talking about with you today thank you yeah I um I had an I had observed uh you know maybe in recovery or whatever is that you know not just do you you learn by teaching but you actually heal by healing um as you place yourself in that position, you're actually better able to reconcile the journey that you've also gone through, not the least because it's easier for you to understand how your own struggles might actually help you secure the trust of others quickly because then they know you know what you're talking about, right? So uh, that's really at the heart of, of what when the design of the Anti-Fragile Playbook has. Um, a, a basically, I would charitably describe it as a download from the universe that Ruth has, which she calls the trauma response pattern which is this sort of step-by-step -step way of breaking, you know, the generational trauma and, and, and poverty. And so I'm, we're particularly interested because you're, you know, you're, your kids get to see this, right? They get to see what you're doing, uh, warts and all, because that's how it really works. And, and I was raised in a family business, so I kind of know what that's like. So I don't know, with that, we just go free form on this. Where do you want to start? You want to talk about what it was like in 1989 or 1990 and how we got to here or, or what? Like, this is your story. Well, I guess I should back it up a little bit further than that uh, my dad was merchant marine and gone half the time uh, my mom raised me and my brother farming uh, I learned how to cuss just it, it came naturally my my mom being a single mom farmer and all that was supplemented once in a while by a merchant seaman who would come home and drink ample amounts of beer and sneak off to toke weed with the other farmers who were too redneck to smoke weed because oh, wait this is supposed <laughs> to be pg right sorry yeah we're no, gonna have it's to supposed again. to be authentic is what it is beep, beep. yeah it's just that 
It's just that uh might have to beep it because uh <laughs> so because otherwise uh, I'm So there's uh a lot of disharmony and conflict under my roof growing up. Uh lots of hard work. My dad really he gave up working by the time I was about 12. Uh, on the farm he'd go to go to see and then come back and figure he did his work um i i was looking for a way off the farm as soon as i could i i uh found skateboarding at which by nature being a skateboarder you basically go wherever you want and do whatever you want as curiosity dictates and don't really pay attention to what you can and can't do because like why can't i, I already did uh found Burnside in in the early year and the guys from Hillsboro that went with me were all beep those guys they're all I'm not going back I'm like what are you talking about these guys are freaking awesome and look at this place like it's not not crusty's like barely sloped banks that you can't even push on because they're so rough that would take all of your hide if you fell and and the next spot would be across town where there were some good curbs and then another spot you had to go through a farmer's field and get your feet all muddy and go through some culverts to get to like it was everything in one spot and it was wild and it wasn't tamed and it was uh the group of you guys just doing whatever the heck you wanted and uh but there was there was an order to it too and there was a uh code to it and the, and regardless of how wild and messed up things were there was a morality to it and uh well it's worth mentioning that i mean a lot of people don't know this is that for a lot of your skateboarding was not just not only was there not a place to go but it was actually um illegal so if we were caught by the police they would take our stuff and um uh and then sometimes leave us out uh, by Terminal 6, which is, as you know, way out in the middle of nowhere. And um, and it was, you know, inhospitable. And and then, of course, it's also raining there all the time. Always. And then, you know, the wind's coming, it dries out, and then it rains. And so, you know, if you wanted to, to skate, you had to actually adopt uh, sort of a hunter-gatherer type of thing, which I think is well-suited because, if I'm not mistaken, based on your, um, you know, what you'd learned from your mom, um, you'd learned a lot about, actually, uh, going out barefoot in the woods and gathering so you had you actually a fairly uh, natural aptitude for that right so oh yeah you know she didn't send us to church she'd let us go play in the woods instead that's awesome mm -hmm. i i know nothing about the the religious good book um and i don't care <laughs> that doesn't bother me at all um in fact i'm i'm a little bit proud of that uh yeah so I, I don't, I never got dropped off out there by the cops, but I do have a few photos of uh, girlfriends and I in handcuffs from skating on the bricks or skating in parking garages or whatever. And there'd be like the good cop, bad cop security guards and the good one would like take a Polaroid and give us, give us a spare one so we could take it home with us <laughs> while the bad cop was out running our fake names that we gave them. <laughs> yeah, not a lot. <laughs> yeah and we, we and we talked about this with with burnside is when we finally built it we just wanted a place where we you know it's under a bridge and it's all in one place and of course we chose like at the time it was one of the worst places in town but it did it did afford us some margins of um of being able to ride there without getting harassed too much <laughs> right 
So. Yeah. And, you know, no matter how bad it was, that was the safe spot. I could go there anytime, day or night, alone and be safe because I was skating. And all the, all the transient folks around there, they knew who we were. The migrant workers, they knew who we were. The dealers, the prostitutes, they knew who we were and they'd leave us alone. Right. So, of course, we I had mean, to earn I, that. <laughs> we had uh, to earn yeah, that. That was, that was a bit of a journey, but that's a different story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it, it, it was a work in progress, but it happened. Yeah. Um, but, but I think it speaks to how you find your family, too, right? As, right. as those who are, are kin. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, I mean, that that kind of gets that kind of gets to how, how we are. Is I I end up adopting this sort of big brother thing where I would I'd spot her and I'd be like, okay. "Man, I'm taking you home." <laughs> so I got to know your okay. mom. <laughs> yes, I remember that night, and I remember going home and being like, "Dang it, I don't want to." You suck. <laughs> <laughs> but your mom, but your mom digs me now, so I kind of like that. <laughs> Oh yeah, my mom gets teary-eyed when you come up. I love Ken. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. So um fast forward a little bit more. One of the other guys in the uh crew was came came from a strong hippie background and I'd ask him every once in a while, like, oh my gosh, what do I do for my cramps? And he well, a guy like me should know, but I don't. I was like and uh, couple that with running around in the woods and always pretending that I need this plant or that plant for medicine or, and I had a pretty good grasp on the berries. I mean, you could eat almost anything in Oregon. So, and my mom had a strong science background, botany and fisheries and such chemistry. So we'd take some berries home, show her the leaves. She'd be like, yeah, you could eat that. So pretty much gorked out on salmon berries and thimble berries and huckleberries and stra wild strawberries all summer long, just choke cherries, whatever we could find. So I got into uh, studying herbal medicine and uh, pretty much all of it's from a Western perspective. Uh, I totally but, forgot about that, how I forgot about that, but I do remember now. Yeah, so um, I started with a woman who's an intermediary between the Fey world and our world. And then I started studying with another fellow, um, did an internship with him who has a, who has a strong, strong background in chemistry. So I got the magic first and then I got the chem, which didn't really appeal to me all the way. Like I got it. I understood it. I could, it was tangible, but it wasn't what I really was looking for. Uh, but the next guy I studied with was both both chemistry and the spiritual aspect of working with plants and how, how it's not just a plant you're tearing out of the ground to use, it's your relative. And you gotta talk to it in the community and let it know what you're doing and why you're doing it and get permission, which, not always the best at waiting for because I'm still kind of impatient about things. Um, patience is not my strongest suit. And, and really? I'll admit that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little. Maybe. <laughs> See, you learned something today, Kent. This is yeah, awesome. I did. I wrote that down on a piece of paper. Tanya equal not patient. Um, 
there's there's an additional thing too. If I'm not mistaken, you had uh, been sort of imbued with um, um, sort of through oral tradition, um, your uh, own indigenous roots, which um, you know, you, yes. it's sort of like so part of you, you don't even speak to it. Um, yeah, both through both my grandmas. Uh, my mom's mom was Eastern Cherokee, and she was raised sheep herding in Wyoming. Her mom died at a very young age. Her her dad was a Scottish sheep herder. Uh, but her mom died at a very young age from breast cancer. And uh, so my grandma never was really handed down that tradition and lost all, lost, lost the line. Like, uh, and uh, <clears throat> so that wasn't really handed down, but she was always always very she's the one who taught me how to do a farmer's blowout in the woods she was the one who would go hike in the woods with us and teach us plants and stuff and um braid mom's hair when mom was little and refer to her kids as her little indians and but never <laughs> actually said i am native uh but it wasn't i had an, safe I had an interesting i had an interesting complimentary thing with my um uh, paternal paternal uh, maternal grandparents because <clears throat> we lived in astoria uh, you know is you know where it's at but it's the mouth of the columbia and oregon and mm. they would take me up in the woods my grandpa in particular who you know for whatever reason entertained a childlike fascination and and wonder and novelty all the way to his last days and so when he would um he would introduce me to the natural world he did so from a place of great like wonder and it was engaging oh, yeah. as a kid right so he talked about how you know the, the trees are the grandparents and you know at their roots are you know blah 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 and you'd sit at the base of the ferns and you talk and i mean that's just how i learned it you know and my grandma would speak of, um, you know, uh, a, a stewardship, an indigenous stewardship of the of the garden and all that other stuff. So, you know, it took me years to realize that they're essentially teaching me that that sort of respect for the land that is is associated with the indigenous. You know, I think, and and it's not just indigenous to here; it's a global thing. Uh, it's it's actually a modern phenomena that people have forgotten their connection. Um, because you could go anywhere in the world and have those same teachings. Um, yeah. Right. So then my uh, paternal grandmother, her mom's family came up, came up off the Grand Rondres and she grew up homesteading down near Peavine, uh, just between Grand Ronde and, and McMinnville there on the way out to the coast. Uh, okay. so, so for me, I'm, I'm from Oregon. Like I'm from there. Uh, although the Grand Ron had their own Trail of Tears. That's a Confederate tribe. And so it's, we don't know if we came from Southern Oregon or from the Valley or where exactly, but um, it's still my home. Uh, my grandma uh, had a farm just down oh, on the west end of Hillsborough, south of TV Highway there. And mm -hmm. I, spend a lot of time with her and she taught me how to make pies before I even knew how to make white rice or cold cereal I'd be making pie with my grandma mm. and uh that I still bake pies to uh to win hearts and woo men uh <laughs> little, little side note I just made the worst crust I've ever made in my life it was like hard tack with apples <laughs> You're not supposed to knead it, dude. You're supposed to just touch it a couple of times. Well, it's with gluten-free <laughs> flour, and I'd never, oh. <laughs> never used it before. And I'm like, damn. Mm. <laughs> oh. 
we got we got some laughs out of that one anyway so uh so she was telling me about how her cousins used to come out of the hills and tell me about their beautiful long black braids and her hands would go down where the braids would go and uh and uh how they trade sweet potatoes for pies and my grandpa and dad came in out of the field and they still had their overalls on coveralls and my grandpa said assimilate or die turned around stomped out the door slammed behind them and that was that no more no more talk of anything she never would share which tribe she would never share anymore it was only the the white settlers that she could talk about. And he would often poke fun at that even because his family came over on a Pullman coach. But yeah. we still got some of the stories at least. And I have a rocking chair that came over in a covered wagon and we'd sit around and yeah. drink tea by, by lantern light and, and play rummy or I'd watch the adults play cribbage or they'd try to help me limp through it. And, uh, so yeah. that's still my favorite favorite things because there were still the there were still stories you know and still stories of survival and making it through the right. depression with with land they were poor they did right. walk up both ways to school in 10 feet of snow with newspaper in the front of their toes right. but uh they had food sometimes it was right. barely but they had food and that's what allowed them to make right. it well, I had the same, I had a similar thing is that, you know, like I, I, I really enjoyed the stories from my grandparents about how they got through the Great Depression and the, you know, the Dust Bowl. Like I, I talked about before, my maternal grandmother's father died when she was three months old uh, in an auto accident. And they lived in uh, Meadow, Texas, uh, just south of Lubbock. And they, you know, basically streamed their way to Oregon. And, um, uh, and yeah, man, I, I love that stuff. But, you know, like the, you know, you know, the boy's mom, um, she's Ojibwa and they, um, boy, they do not want to talk about their background because it's, that's what I consider the reverberations of genocide. There's a shame, a generational shame. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and it's not, it's not a topic that is, you just don't want to talk about it. And it, and it makes some sense, you know, like, um, uh, uh, so when Ezra was born, you know, Ezra, of course, when he was born, these mm -hmm. people came from, um, uh, Michigan uh, from the tribe because his grandfather, his great grandfather, was a chief or something. I honestly, you know, they don't get to get them to talk about it is, is impossible because there's such a shame about it. Um, but they came out and they said, you know, he's he's actually kind of an important kid. And I could never get could never get tested to talk about why that was right. But uh, but it's something I always felt like, okay, well, you know, here I guess it's my job to teach them. It's you know, I, sort of like a self-assumed you know uh, keeper of the flame type of thing. I had to keep this for, for the kids because. Because, you know, um, what happened was, is that her, her great grandfather was, uh, you know, pulled out of the family, sent to an Indian school, given a birth certificate that showed him as white and sent to Los Angeles, you know, uh, which is common, right? <laughs> like, that's, that's okay. what happened. And, uh, uh, you know, he was pulled out of the context. And, um, and so then what you end up with is a situation where you're, you're, it's discouraged. You don't, you don't want to talk about your, your, your oral, you don't want to do the oral tradition. And that's, that's so much of that is lost, right? And, Absolutely. um so it's, it's interesting to fast forward. I know we're jumping a little bit, but, you know, here just a couple of days ago, you're telling me about these uh, uh, Persian women from Iran that are helping you harvest your saffron. And you're feeling like they're family because they're telling stories that sound real familiar. And I'll bet you they're not too far off. Right. And, uh, no, you know, here they very come from safe. one of the oldest civilizations on Earth. Right. So that's kind of cool. Right. Like that's I like that. Yeah. Um, 
the whole thing with the saffron, I, I should share how I even got started because there's, there's a good bridge there. Um, yeah, let's hear it. So I was uh, on, on the council and at the end, but uh, advocating with Pacific Northwest stands with Standing Rock. I was doing a lot of activist work and organizing. And uh, we were meeting multiple times a week, staying up all night in the kitchen, <clears throat> trying to make sure there were rides and firewood and fuel and hotels and burner phones and clothing and medicine <clears throat> that was available to the people who were going out. Um, and uh, in council one day, it, it came up like, hey, what? okay, so where's everybody at? And I was like, well, out of all honesty, you know, rent's due in a couple of days. I'm freaking flat broke. Um, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent. I don't know how I'm going to do anything. And there was just silence. Uh, and uh, that uh, people wanted to help support me too. And I was just like, well, I don't know. And uh, I was making these raw chocolate truffles for the wine and chocolate event for my kids' school. And I'd taken some in to share. <clears throat> there was a winter marketplace up at Naya going on. And one of, the, one of the folks that was working with us was like, those are so freaking good. Everybody's got to have them. You have table space with me. So I started slinging truffles. And part of, part of what um, our activist work evolved to is creating market spaces, more indigenous market spaces. So I worked really closely with a woman named Paige Coleman. And uh, we'd stay up all night and try to secure community spaces and worked with the city of Portland to get an indigenous marketplace in Alberta Street Market <clears throat> during the summer there, and a, a designated place. And there was a couple other things, I don't remember what they were called, but we got, we were securing space for just us. And often uh, it would be at a discounted and or free, free entry for fees, like not being charged to be there. <clears throat> because this, of course, is stolen land, occupied land. Uh, and it was a way to honor the first, first people who are here. <clears throat> Pardon me. So as I'm doing this, I, and I'm making uh, one of our other friends in the community is a man named Santiago, and he heads up the program, uh, the entrepreneurial program at NEA. And this man needs a serious raise. He was like, hey, Wednesday night, small business classes. I was like, are you kidding? I got kids. It's a school night. He's like, we serve dinner. I'm like, hey, I'm there. <laughs> and it's good food, like really good food. Um, squashes and just whole foods, healthy foods, stuff that I, it, it's not out of a can, you know, like it's good. Uh, so going to class and the question was always, and what are you really going to do? And I was like, well, you know, the chocolate's melt at sweatshirt temperature. So that's kind of out. And if I'm going to make herbal products, I'd be going against the old agreement, which is, um, a stewardship agreement. I take care of them and they take care of me. It's reciprocal. I'd be right. decimating stands that I've known my whole life. And uh, so that kind of, that wouldn't work either. 
and uh, one of our buddies was building skate parks in Israel and had called me and like, hey, what do I bring home to my wife? You know, and I was like, oh, my God, you're on the spice route. Bring her saffron. Oh, and rose essential oil, because the damask rose, those gardens aren't being tended because of the bombing over there in Syria. So uh, he brought home saffron for both her and me, and I put mine in the freezer and forgot about it. So we, we fast forward back to the class again. And uh, one evening, just as Santiago's asking him, what are you really going to do? Mel walks in and hands me this container. He's like, here, you take it. And I was like, I was like, sweet. Because I was putting saffron on my chocolates. Um, and uh, I'd read an article. It was in Costco a few days before, maybe a week before, and read some th- Western interpretation and thumbnail scratch of saffron being medicinal and yada yada and i was just like this is what i'm going to do and santiago's eyebrows just went up and he was like okay i'm like no really another buddy uh suggested i check in with usda on high tunnel grants i did i applied for both the organic and the conventional in the hopes yep. that it would better my chances for winning one of them. And they'd call and say, you got it. No, wait, never mind, never mind, never mind. What? No, you got it. No, 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 no. And they called back um, the morning that Marty passed. And, oh, uh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we have a mutual friend. We have a mutual friend that we know from way back. And he, uh, uh, Marty slash Monk, and he passed away. That's just the context on that one. That's interesting that that happened on that same time. Yeah. So they called and said, You won both greenhouses. And I was so excited. I called Sage and I'm like, Oh my God. ah!" And he Hmm. didn't, um, he didn't tell me about, uh, about Monk passing. And I asked him later why he didn't. He said he just wanted me to be able to sit and being super stoked. Which yeah. I think is one of the sweetest things that, you know, like, because he knows that I love him too, you know. So I, I got at least eight hours of being super hyped and being really high off of that before I right. got, got the sad news. Um, so there was that. And then uh, a lot of the USDA, you got to pay up front. And then they reimburse you. So I've never even had credit in my life. Uh, I have always thought that it was BS. I don't want to play that game. Uh, My grandma would always say, if you can't afford it, you don't need it. Right. So uh, I, but I needed that credit so I could get a loan so I could pay for these things up front. And I did a credit builder program and got my credit score up to somewhere around 800 within a couple of months. Wow. Wow. Uh, and got this $40,000 loan that I was like, oh, my God, that's that's like a broken arm right there. Um, mm. Like, literally, what a broken arm's worth. And I I wouldn't go in to get my arms fixed or, you know, bones fixed because it costs too much. and I didn't want to be in debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got that. My grant officer through the USDA knew a lot of stuff was coming out of pocket. So she referred me to a new grant program over at Soil and Water in Washington County, which Mm -hmm. supplemented a lot, a majority of what would have been out of pocket. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
So I have two 30 by 95 foot greenhouses and it's not for warmth, it's for uh, moisture control. I have gutters with catchment tanks. I have a pump <clears throat> to bring it all back up so I can irrigate with the rainwater I collect. I have native pollinator species and I've stuck a lot to the berries because I want to be able to go out there and snack while I work. Right. Um, I mean, and I've I actually been there. And I've actually been there because this is the untold part of the story. There's so much of, of your story that you just sort of, you, you, you don't reference just because you kind of take it for granted. But Ruth, this is the thing. A lot of that stuff was done because, um, because um, Tanya basically cashed in forms of soft capital, basically phoned in a favor. And these are favors that she had earned, right? So like, yeah. I mean, she, she, well, she contacted her people, but these are people she, she had actually invested in. So, I mean, if you go back and you look at her timeline, I actually did it last night when Ruth was over. There's all these people that came out and you're like, you know, you're, this is, you know, it's Tanya saying mad props to so-and-so for coming out, but you had actually earned that. You'd put that money in a bank, so to speak. And so when you ask people to come forward, I mean, I'm pretty sure there was probably a hundred people that came and helped you over time to build that I'm thing. Well, I but but I, I'm glad you're adding these details, Tanya, because one of the things I learned when I lived in Oklahoma and worked with Choctaw Nation, when I met a lot of farmers <laughs> and people don't understand how complex it is, that it's not just, mm -hmm. you're not just out there growing things. You have to be a scientist. You have to be a financier. You have to right. be what we're calling a kitchen table capitalist. You know, you're sitting there looking mm -hmm. at all these different forms of capital, you know, that, that goes into the harvest. And as Kent was right. just saying, I mean, you're really harvesting this long time wisdom that has been uh, rooted in you from your family, but it was, it was brought forward by your own curiosity and the crucible of time. So there you were a few days till rent was due and who among us hasn't had those moments, right? Where right. it was like, you got to compress it. You got to take action and you did, but it was taking that action rooted in that wisdom that triggered this next story and that's what's so mm -hmm. exciting about hearing about this is that um people you know one of the things i'd said to kent uh, i was gonna say years ago but we've only known each other since march so is is that you know when people say you're an overnight success i always reply and it's the longest night of my soul you know right. that, this night lasted a really long time but people just see the bloom and go like oh pretty you know and you're like dude there's so much to this, but right. it's all, and, and, and the more you tell your story, the more people can say, oh, wow, you're just being transparent around this and I can figure out how, where I fit into this. So that's, I really yeah. applaud you for that because that doesn't get talked about nearly enough. But it's an important yeah. thing because what she, what she did is that she, she activated a lot of capital that had been sitting yeah. out there in that network. And so what it is, is that there's a lot of people who feel a sense of ownership and stewardship about this, not true ownership, but you know what I mean? They feel like they're part of the deal, in including myself. Like Tanya was like, can't, you know how to use a tractor? I'm like, oh man, you bet. And you know this about me, Ruth. I'm inclined to say yes, and then kind of, you know, learn as I go. So I ended up digging up a power line, which is pretty fun. And, and you know, it's funny, Tanya, your mom are out there. Mom hands me a sandwich and goes, where'd that come from? And I was like, it was in the ground. And she's like, did it make anything turn off? And I said, no. And she goes, then it's all good. And just walked back. <laughs> and then so afterwards, Tanya, I texted her. She's like, have you ever used one of those before? And I was like, yeah, this afternoon. <laughs> so, <laughs> if it doesn't um, kill you, right? Or something. Right. 
No, it's, well, all, it's my family. That, that which isn't fatal is potentially fun, depending on my perspective. So anyway. Yeah, it's only a bad idea if it doesn't work, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> if so, you can uh, laugh it off. <laughs> I, and I needed the help because I was, I've never used an excavator before, but I was driving it around trying to use it and I just broke in my wrist. <laughs> it was again. so loud. And, uh, and the vibrate, it's not that I couldn't use it. It's that the vibrations hurt my wrist so bad, making my bones grind together that I needed to call people for help. So <laughs> and, yeah, that, and that particular one came off the assembly line shaking. I'm not kidding you. And we were both hoping that, that Sage was available, but unfortunately he wasn't, right? Because both of us, remember, both of us were like, Sage, we need your help. And he's like, sorry, man, I can't do it. I'm kind of busy. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. I ended up, like, he did a bunch of work up there. Um, he ended up doing a bunch of work for free. And then I was like, dude, I gotta, I gotta have, like, just please finish it up. And he's like, I I'm in the middle of this other job. I can't break free. And I'm like, dude, I'll pay you double and I'll make you pie. <laughs> right. and he's like, I made I it for still, the pie. Okay. <laughs> I still owe him a pie for that. And uh, I think it's been two years. I'll pay up eventually. Well, well now it's public. So yeah. Yeah. yeah now and his, yeah, you, his know he clicked, you know, he clicked his heels somewhere three times and that pie is going to appear. So <laughs> well, we're, we're past Marion Berry season, so it's got to wait till next year again. <laughs> so uh, I think, though, that honestly, like, I have never received so much support in my life before, and it's been incredibly humbling and moving. And I've had days where, multiple days, like, it's not just one time where I felt this way, but where I've been like, oh my God, like, overwhelmed and kind of teary and just like not even not even knowing proper emotional response to all the help I've gotten because it'll be like on the line last minute thing like if I don't get this done it's all over and I've put so much into it and and then people just magically appear and they're just like hey what do you need help with and it it but you know, it's, it's a story that people get it really engaged in. They, I mean, you know, like I'll tell you my thing is that you, you probably knew this. My dad had a spice company and, you know, he used to drive trains for a living and then he um, uh, didn't realize he was diabetic. So he was, you know, they'd be on the train for three, four days going up the gorge. And so he'd start mixing tea. So he wasn't drinking coffee because coffee was messing with him. And so they, you know, one of the guys on the train finally said, hey, can you, uh, can you get some onion? And he was like, oh, cool. I can do spices. So he created a spice company and then you know, it was called Oregon Spice and he got caught up in the whole buy Oregon first thing. And next thing you know, the company was pretty big. And, um, uh, and we had, uh, uh, we had spices coming out the wazoo, man, <laughs> I had like 250 pound drums of cayenne pepper, you know, uh, uh, around my bedroom. And of course my friends couldn't deal, right. <laughs> Cause it's like being around pepper spray. And, uh, <laughs> then you end up getting a warehouse and getting another warehouse. And so anyway, in the mix of that, we started getting into more and more exotic spices. And my dad's stick was he would buy, um, the spices directly from the the source and then he would uh, you know drop ship whenever he could but we ended up getting into saffron and you know cardamom is like my, one of my favorite spices and I learned a lot about spices so we had a safe at the time it was 500, $554 $454 a pound and that was in the 80s and I know it's a lot more now but it wasn't a safe we had this safe you know one for the cardamom and the vanilla and the other one for the saffron and um, so it's funny because you know fast forward you know, Tanya, one of the OG from Burnside, 
uh, uh, just, I, I remember, <laughs> I remember you're out riding your motorcycle and we're, you know, shooting the breeze and you're like, blah, 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 saffron. And I was like, what? <laughs> Cause it's like Oregon, saffron, Tanya. <laughs> it's like, it didn't click. And then you, of course, the way you do is you weave people into your story. It's like, you're so, it's kind of who you are. Right. And so then people become part of the story. And I saw, this is where I like, it's almost worth going back. Naya and the native American youth association, they gave you a grant because it's such a great story. Uh, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, I love Naya. They're, um, you know, like every every group has its issues, but they try so hard to be there. And the people who are working there are underpaid for what they do. Because um, not only are they there in community support, but they're there on individual support. Like any one person, you'd be like, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. And there's that emotional support and spiritual support. Um, Thanks, Naya. Thanks, Santiago. Thanks, Cecilia. Thanks, Amanda. And everybody else. Um, so yeah. I yeah, think what's, I mean, what's cool, what's cool about a story like this, and this is kind of why we want to shine a light on people that are otherwise reluctant to have a light shined on them as the accidental advocate is that you inspire other people to do the same thing. It's like, I love the expression, the rising tide lifts all boats, right? Like you're, you're doing something. Cause if I'm not mistaken, your vision on this and the reason that you engaged with my company wasn't just because we're friends is that you don't want to just do a saffron farm, but you want to wow. create something akin to a matronage. So other women can learn what you've done. You want to elaborate on that? Cause that's the vision that really lights me sure. up. Yeah. So in the process of working out there um, in my greenhouses, I uh, I realized that I it's a, it's an incredible struggle being in being a, a woman that yeah I, I have skills I could do pretty much anything maybe not well but I could do pretty much anything um, I lived on the streets for a while and uh, a lot of bad things happen when you live out so you know find safety get a boyfriend or and that isn't always the best best situation uh, oftentimes women find themselves in abusive situations and I'm no different um and I'm not saying that these are bad guys because they weren't I didn't there was only one that I would consider a bad person but the rest of them were just dealing with their own too and addiction right. issues and this is traumas and this is common and this is common, right? Like, I mean, this is the thing where like, you know, they say it's a man's world on the streets, which is true. Like women have to have to make a really difficult choice as it pertains to, you know, uh, what they would call their relationship, you know, and that, uh, that ends up modeling something for the kids that becomes normal for their children to see, right? Like, okay, well, that's what you do. Uh, and so well, begins the pattern, you know, one of my it's 11, 11, it's 11, 11, by the way. Yeah. Um, is what one of my girls calls it. And, uh, and it's not just from being on the streets, it's also finding in, in regular relationships. Like what, is, what does a woman do? She's taking care of the kids, first one up in the morning, making sure the fire's going, making sure that there's food on the table for the kids, gets them to school with their lunches, uh, takes care of whatever chores throughout the day, you know, like dishes and laundry and dishes again and more laundry again oh yeah and more dishes and cleaning toys <laughs> up books up and oh look there's more dishes and um picking up kids and making dinner and often as the last person to bed too 
uh, dealing with the scrapes and the bumps of not just physical life, but emotional life. And, uh, and then the husband or partner comes home is like, Hey babe, I worked a hard day. How about paying attention to me? And it's like, really, how hard do I have to work to be able to say, Hey, I've had a long day. How about don't pay attention to me? Like, where's, yeah. where's, how hard do I have to work to be able to say, no, I don't want to. Yeah. So, and, this, and this is a good example of what Ruth calls the women's work, which is, it's like the invisible and unrecognized forms of capital that are typically associated with women, but not always limited to women. Right. Right. Like, I mean, well, you know, it, I'm, it, I'm, it, you it, know this. Go ahead, Ruth. Well, I was going to say like during COVID, um, you know, it, women's work has doubled, tripled, quadrupled, you know, that it's not just the uh, actual labor, it's the emotional labor of holding right. everything together, of yep. keeping, keeping the peace. And, you know, and as you said, it, like you're continually doing the dishes, whether physically or metaphorically, you know, it's always cleaning right. up something and preparing for what's next. And, what, and, right. and so one of the things I'm, I'm working on and started working on a couple of years ago is this concept of women's work. And it's not just women doing it. We have to really hold the space for the fact that there's a lot of men doing this too. Absolutely. This is yeah. the human work, and, but it's been classified as women's work. It's, in, it's invisible, it's undervalued, and it's essential to life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, and I ran into the same thing when I decided to no longer, I'd be basically shifting to working from home and taking on more and more of the uh, uh, stuff associated with childcare, house cleaning. I found that I was not recognized for it. It was basically the work was uh, um, ignored, devalued, uh, invalidated, right? It's like, it's, it's, that, it's that category of work. It does lead me to the article that you and I just were talking about, Ruth, about the, the rates of suicide um, in, the, uh, uh, in Japan. Um, mm -hmm. so many of them women, right? Because of the tradition, like additional stresses, plus the increased exposure to abuse, et cetera. Well, and, and, and when we, we really take a look at this and look through the lens of women's work as being that of human connectivity, you see why people get overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, right. that, that their, right. their, their empathy is so taxed that there's no room for self-care because as you were saying a minute ago to Tanya, how, what, how much do you have to do in order to have the right to say no, to right. actually say, this is a space I need. And, you know, and, and it's, it's part of that trauma response pattern, right? It's part of that yeah. trauma that, that we can source the trauma. We can't change that it happened, but what we can do is change our pattern of response to it. Right. right. So this is right. what I what I love about what you're doing is you're living your story. You're not saying I read a book about this or I saw a movie or I heard a theory. You said, no, nah, this is my life. You know, warts and all. This is it. I did what I could with what I had at the moment and I learned from it. And I don't right. want other people to go through that pain. You know, I think no, all of us you, practice you, that. We want to be that person we needed to be there who wasn't there for us. Right. And you weave <laughs> other people into the story. So they feel a sense of uh, stewardship, which I really appreciate. Mm -hmm. Right. 
which Thank is, you. Uh, you know, it gets kind of gets back to why I enjoy working with you within the context of my company is that, you know, when you're working with Trudy, you know, uh, we go through the, the comm process, the community activation and launch methodology, really trying to help turn that into essentially an operating and governing procedure to turn this into something that can scale because you are really trying to turn this into um, an operational uh, response that can benefit others. Uh, I don't know if you if that you want to elaborate on that, but that's that's been my uh, uh, observation. Um, yeah, it's it's like I was saying earlier. I, I could either be exhausted, struggling to make these short short ends meet on my own, or I can have the same amount of exhaustion and try and uh, try and help other people out too, which in turn helps me out. Like you're saying, um, commun- it brings community together to support each other. And uh, so through, through all the time I'm putting my hands in the dirt out there, I started thinking of what's needed and how desperately uh, women, and, and again, this is not gender specific, but it, it is to a point, um, women's Absolutely. work, how, what the barriers are to safety and security, to financial and personal independence, um, which are big things like uh, how many people stick in bad relationships because they want they want to keep a roof over their head and they want to have showers and they want to have good food right. and they want their kids in a warm bed at night. Right. Um, I mean, I frequently observe that people equate money with security and it comes to the, at the detriment of their dignity frequently, right? Like, you know, um, they end up doing these things and they get money, but that ends up demonstrating an example to their kids, which they are more likely to emulate when they become older and so replicates and so repeats the same patterns of abuse. Right. And yep. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but I don't want that for my kids at all. <laughs> right? Like, Me you know, I'd and rather I burn the whole thing to the ground before I had that happen, you know, like, yeah. so. And I, I have two daughters and they're one's, One's 15 and the other's 12. And they're at the age where they're, they're seeing the abuse patterns. But they're, and they're also seeing me as being the one who's created the instability because that's where the, where the focus is. Um, they're wondering why I don't just go get a job at Home Depot or Starbucks. And it's like, I can't do that. It's, yeah, um, I can, I can add a nuance, but I can add a nuance to this is that kids push against the line that's most solid. That's what they do. Right. And so, you know, they're, they're the ones that are pushing against you. They're kicking at you because they know they can. Like, I'd say that there's probably a more nuanced truth on that. You're actually starting a business and it's a business that is actually benefiting you. But then beyond that, your broader vision is to create something that benefits others like them. And that's a big vision. So, you know, it's leadership is not popular. Like, I mean, I'm just telling you as a friend, like what I, what I detect with your kids is they're pushing back at you just because they know they can, you know. Thank you. And and you're breaking a generational pattern, you know, Yeah. and that's, that's hard work. It's hard work yeah. um, because you're you're answering questions that they haven't even asked yet, and right. they're going to have to you know learn into the right language mm-hmm. yeah. to actually even bring that forward. And I mm-hmm. don't have children, but I know a lot of people who act like children, so I feel like I do. <laughs> um, so, but I always say that. So, but I always say that's not true, Ruth. It's not true that you don't have biological children, but right. I know you. 
I know you and you, you do, you have, you've taken on a lot of kids, like a lot of them, <laughs> right? Just because, because you care, you're definitely toiling. I mean, you're the person who sends me text messages at 1231 in the morning because you got an idea, another idea to enhance. You're continually improving. You're definitely the person who's committed to what you call women's work. And it's not for your edification, it's for others. So I would say that's not true. You're totally a mom. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. And it's, but, but, but the fact is, is I've, I've been a kid in, in the world, you know, and I've, I've had the questions and I haven't had access to a way to even evaluate the answers. You know, you can ask the question mm -hmm. and answer, but does it have meaning? So what I like about what you're doing with the saffron farm is that you're giving it a context. You know, there's a, there's a beginning, middle and end to the story, but the chapters are still being written. And you marry that with what 214 Alpha offers as a platform, as a way to, you know, capture and measure and amplify these different forms of capital, kind of the why of what you're doing. That's exciting for people. They're like, oh, okay, okay. There's a yeah. why to this. It's not just the how. Yeah. And that's, that's a way to kind of bring it forward in a package to other people. Well, we yeah. And it's, and it's like the marketplace example that you did, the stuff that you were trying to do for the uh, for the Alberta market. You know, I mean, it's kind of cool because just, I guess, typical skateboarder move, you just continue to take the same concept and just refine it and then adapt it. And so in this case, it's, you know, it'd be a, a virtual marketplace that would be open to people and they could generate money all the time and they could learn a skill so they can reduce their dependency upon those that might be abusive. I mean, I kind of dig it, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Well, hopefully I could get what I'd like to do, because I'm still small potatoes, uh, saffron wise, and the thoughts, kind of as my thoughts flowed, is like, okay, how, and they went in a couple different directions at once, because it's not like I'm linear or anything. Um, part of the thoughts were like, okay, I need to get bigger so that at least planting, doing the earthwork can be mechanized, similar to garlic. Um, planting and digging and separating corms uh pickings all picking and processing are always going to be handwork uh it's women's mm -hmm. work traditionally. so uh this year a couple elder men jumped in and started helping before i could say no this is women's work <laughs> uh because the plants the plants and people uh there's there's genetic memory in both of us uh we have intergenerational trauma. We also have intergenerational healing. We have a connection with plants and saffron's right. one of them. So it isn't propagated by seed. It's propagated by dividing corms and replanting. It's a handwork thing. And right. so those plants remember us just like we remember them. And yeah. uh, so I try to hold to the old way of like, okay, the women do this work. Well, I mean, it's too much for just me and the women who came up. I needed all hands and, and right. they showed up and they started working luckily before I said no. So I gave into it. Um, right. So there's, there's thought like, okay, I need to get bigger. I'd like to have satellite farms. I would like to have a farm far enough south and high enough in uh, elevation that I can offset the harvest where I could have a second harvest a year. Okay, what am I going to need for it? Well, I need workers. And, you know, originally it was women workers. How am I going to do that so that they can have at least a month or two of a living wage? 
because just that would be enough to pay for a birthday party or or some medicine or some food or a month's rent or something you know like something right. and for yeah. a lot of people they don't need a ton they don't need a lot right i mean honestly no. like if people are trying to come up with a side hustle they're really like ideally if they could come up with an extra couple hundred bucks a month that's a big deal that's not a small deal okay. right so okay. you know so and okay so what are the barriers well child care is a huge one so how are we going to do that well we need a place where the older kids can kind of keep a lookout for the younger kids or the grandma that needs to be looked out for could come up and the kids could babysit the grandma while the grandma babysits the kids can have potlucks are my favorite parties these days. Like I'm obviously not 25 anymore or 18. Uh, it's no longer the keggers that excite me. It's potlucks. It's bringing together the food and the stories and the laughter. Yeah, you're talking. Um, And kitchens and food are central to um, community, to a household, to family. So have have that warm space where where to bring together the foods and uh, for the people who aren't working or who are working even like, what are you going to do on lunch? Well, you talk about this, that or the other thing. Talk about um, medicine a little bit for this or that. Talk about like, oh, these clothes work well or these shoes are the best ones I've found for, you know, most practical for this kind of thing. I, I sourced this product from that place. Or have you met the farmer over there who has specialty whatever peppers of whatever kind? And uh, just community speak and, and survival. And it's a sharing right. of information and it's a sharing it's a sharing of resources. So expanding on that, like thinking about, uh, I I was able to speak with some of the women, one who's one who has a daughter that has a degree in traditional rug making and saffron petals are used for one of the natural dyes, the natural dyes being important because they don't bleed. And then right. uh, meeting some weavers in native community and just hearing the similarities and the differences and how cool it would be to hold workshops that would teach that kind of thing. Not specifically that, but that kind right. of thing, how it could be used to bridge the gap between, uh, between these smaller communities and our dominant culture, the dominant white culture, and, and how that could in turn fund this women's space right uh, well and, and, and what and you're describing how... go ahead Ruth. what you're describing is what we're calling a wisdom exchange which right. is where real wealth is built um, yeah. and wealth is very different than money money is a useful tool you know and uh because certainly landlords would prefer to get paid in cash than saffron um mm. right and, and it, so it's a, it's a convenience. Money, that exchange is a convenience. But what you're talking about is a wealth. It's a wealth of opportunity. It is uh, a, a, an awakening of, of the existing wisdom. It is right. finding a way for people to, um, to inspire their own vision of what the value is in their own lives and to create right. it in a, in a cross-generational way and cross-cultural. One of the books that right. I read that was so informative to me was Braiding Sweetgrass. 
by I'm Robin Wall Kimmerer. Oh my I keep, gosh. Yeah, I have knee surgery coming up in a couple of days. Um, yeah. And I, Lucky. I know, I'm so excited. I only have another year to like <laughs> do stupid fun things again. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's one of the books that I would really like to read. It's well, and, and um, what I like about it is because what you had said earlier in the call was that what she called she calls the practice the honorable harvest, where you're in conversation, you're in energy exchange with the plants, that you're mm -hmm. you're 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 understanding their story and you're weaving it into your story, so you have a shared story. You never take the first of anything, you never take the last of anything. Mm -hmm. is that you're always doing this in a way that honors the life force, the shared message between you, which is, again, another wisdom exchange, the wisdom of right. the saffron with the wisdom of the Tanya, you know? So right. it's, um, that's why I, I love the way you're, you're, you're telling this story because you're doing what Kent and I call creating this balance between the root and the rise. You're taking because right. you can't sustainably rise any higher than you can deeply root, and so your roots are going so deep that you're able to have these blossoms come up in other places and maintain the integrity yeah. of the story. And there's it's, so much of there's so much of Tanya's story that is unstated. I mean, she has a really strong relationship network with other women that definitely back each other up, right? Like this is a, I mean, they roll deep. So it wasn't like in a vacuum where she's like, it's too bad we don't have a way that we could exchange knowledge with one another uh, so other women are helped. That's her network. Those are her people. So she was thinking about how can I hack this in a way that gives some next level stuff, right? Yeah, I would, part of, part of the vision is networking with other farmers, specifically women farmers, uh, but farmers in general who have that connection with the land and with community. And um, my space will have certain resources. Somebody else's space will have other resources. Someone else's yet another. And we'll be able to help direct people in our community to where we'll best support them. Um, and, and thereby support each other too. Like, oh, you need this right now? Like, okay, I'll be over. I, I had volunteers this year from other farms who just came to help. It's not like they didn't have their own work to do, but they saw that I was so overwhelmed with harvest that they came out to help me with mine because theirs could be put on pause a little bit. Um, and I would like to be able to more deeply incorporate and reciprocate that um, and, and broaden that with other farming. Farming's one of the toughest jobs there is out there. Like there's always something to do, always. Even in the winter when things are asleep and you have, you think you don't have anything to do, there's something to do. Um, so that's, and that's definitely a part of the vision. Um, and getting back to women's space, I was talking with a girlfriend last night and she was feeling pretty upset and emotional and drained and tired for having to carry the emotional labor of her partner. Um, mm -hmm. He only right. seeks to open up and progress when she makes him do it and questions him and holds right. him accountable. He's not doing it on his own. And she's exhausted yeah. from it. And I was thinking back to the old ways, how, um, how 
in some tribal cultures, it was the women who are actually the decision makers. They'd sit in council and make a decision and hand that decision to the male council. Right. So we have a we have a customer we work with and they're uh, Mohawk up in Canada. And that's exactly how it played out. We were talking to him and he said, let me consult. And uh, and then he came back and he consulted with his wife and then he let it uh, gestate, if you will. And then he came back with an answer. That's like mm -hmm. basically he wanted to honor the old traditions. So, you know. So the the idea that I had last night or the thoughts, thought direction was that, um, you know, in this women's space, there also needs to be space for men. And it's not our job individually to hold men accountable. Like men, men need the healing and the support too. Mm -hmm. But we as right. a group of women can say, hey, here, work on this. Have fun. No, I mean, and that, and that resonates. I mean, I, I had that, ex I've had that experience a lot of my life is that I'm, I'm actually pretty in touch with my emotions. Um, and I'm actually one of the strongest people I know, but if, uh, but if I, if I express any weakness, it's treated with disdain generally because when men aren't supposed to be that way, you know, and it's because our society has no tolerance for anything but strength all the time. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's just lots of room for improvement. Right. And this ends up playing out and, you know, uh, all kinds of awful ways for the people that are on the streets or veterans, et cetera, you know? Oh yeah. And uh, tra traumas are not dealt with, but if we can, if we can support our women and then in turn support our men, it will, it's just cyclic and it'll go back and forth and the, the balance will come back where yeah, we can support absolutely. each other. And well, I, can I can tell you from um, when I, I started the whole concept of fund her network, uh, last year and talked about women's work I had many many men say what about men and I my response to that was that it just just as any good bar manager will tell you take care of the women they take care of everything else absolutely mm -hmm. you know and 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 so it's not an either or proposition is you it's just right. like doing triage you go to the most vulnerable and the most damaged first Yep, and, absolutely. And women, just like men, they need a place where they can just be women, be their whole self. Right. And that as you, because there's many, many women who are part of this, yeah, they're very supportive of the toxic um, masculine culture. Because as you said earlier in the call, they want, they need some way to feel safe. They need to roof over their head. They need their kids to eat. They do what they have to do. So what I love is off what you're offering and what Kent has um, mentioned a couple of times is this idea of the matronage. Just really yeah. taking the other side of the coin from the patriarchal patronage and saying, okay, so mm -hmm. what if we had women taking care of women? And right. you know, in back in, in, in um, historical times, there were always women who were part of the civilization, the tribe, whatever, who were the healing priestesses. Who, who said, okay, we're just going to create this space for people to start addressing the unmentionable, to start, mm -hmm. you know, opening up that, that wound and letting it heal in an organic way, not just plastering it over or making it look nice or whatever people right. have to do because they don't have what has been termed the luxury of time. And it's yeah. been interesting right. during this COVID time because all of a sudden nobody could say they didn't have enough time. You no, know, you have the time. Now let's have the tools. Let's have the places. 
And that's yeah. what I really love about at least my vision of, of what I'm hearing from you about what the, 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 um, uh, the saffron world can do is to create these places of healing and it's healing by doing, but it's also healing by being. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, hanging out with these Persian women and express, you know, sharing my ideas with them. Uh, a lot of them have similar vision or at least they, they had an extremely positive response to my vision and introduced me to another lady and I'm, I hope I'm saying her name right, Masa. Mm -hmm. uh, she is the moody Persian chef. And she very much has had the had these same thoughts. We had a we had a Zoom meeting too where we just just sharing our ideas back and forth, back and forth. And um so even though my idea originally was, you know, in in support of the native community just I realized that it's not just native community. We've got a strong Hispanic community down in Cornelius Forest Grove with the um, farm workers. But I mean, those are just our cousins from the other side of this, this created border. And this right. isn't- I mean, there's, there's actually a lot. There's, there's, a, there's also Woodburn. Um, there's an interesting mix between uh, uh, that same population and Russians, actually the largest Russian population in the United States. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting, we have communities, right? That's our, that's how we're wired. And the Vietnamese community down in uh, Beaverton right. area. Um, yeah, no, that's a really, that's a hugely, actually, that was when my dad had his company that happened in the, uh, uh, we worked so much with that community. Um, uh, <laughs> that was, I really, I actually was just remembering that with fondness, just sitting there. I'd learned this, just how to squat on the floor and eat, eat food and because we were just we worked so much with the Vietnamese uh with my dad's company but also because there were so many that lived in the area right so yeah 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 so uh right now I'm a little distracted there's little tiny tiny snowflakes falling and it's sunny and everything's sparkly like oh dude you should get out in that you should get out in that oh I will eventually don't worry well I mean because we kind of hit an hour so we could wrap it up if you wanted Okay. Either way. I just, I watch this every morning. Um, uh, this meeting up with this fella, like I said before, wasn't intentional and I didn't mean to have feelings yet because I wanted to be able to be independent and not have to rely on another man uh, just because it's been, I mean, there's been positives to everything, but it's also and a lot of negatives and I don't want to have to be stuck ever again. So, uh, I, I was, that's perfectly sane and reasonable, right? Yeah. So I, I accidentally met this guy and then I accidentally kissed him and then I accidentally stayed in his truck and ended up in Jackson <laughs> because, you know, why would I do anything the easy way, anything in life? Why? why well, I know, no, that, that, that sounds pretty easy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah I just, but it, it is, it's not exactly that. I mean, you're kind of simplifying it. He is from our hood, though. He is from Shoals, right? Which is, I yeah. mean, you know, he's, he's yeah. And he brought me, <laughs> so, he brought me an elk. And, you know, like, when you, when you take right. a new gal an elk with the hide so that she can tan it and the ivories and take her and her youngest daughter salmon fishing, like, hi, 
Yeah. Yeah. But the, you know, the thing is, is it right to your point though, is that, you know, uh, how are you going to learn forward? How are you going to learn to stand on your own two feet while you're bringing forward a system that would help other women in the same way? Right. Exactly. Like exactly. And, and, uh, um, I hear you so and this- I hear you and, uh, Trudy talking a lot. And I, I mean, I imagine that's been pretty fun because it's, it's cool to hear it from her perspective. You know, she's, she got her first, uh, 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 she got her first uh, uh, bachelor's degree in pre-med when she's 19. She um, got another bachelor's degree and then she had a master's degree in uh, occupational therapy. She's one of the smartest people I know and yet was completely marginalized because she's a woman and had to yeah. live just basically the same life. And so, you know, this has been really healing for her because she actually really gets a lot out of those conversations. This is, you know, um, uh, it allows us to really try to bring about a change, just like a, a way we can actually change things in a way that really works out financially, um, uh, spiritually, culturally, et cetera, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, I, I want to make it different for us. And if women can be supported, then men can have more space to heal too. Uh, because yeah. well, I would just say, of- I would say our families are in a state of duress. Like we're expected to just be strong and working all the time. But like, mm-hmm. you know, as we've talked about, actually we had a prior podcast, we talked about how I ended up on the streets. Like this is what happens when families are just put, you know, we had, you know, seven people in the house, five kids. And, um, and in, in a middle-class culture, if you can't buy your way out of it, you can't, you can't do anything. You don't, there's not really that recognition of the forms of soft capital. that are really embraced by, uh, these, those who don't have tons of cash. Right. And so if you can't do it, you basically just come apart. It just completely falls apart, you know? So, um, you know, we beat, we need better safety nets and we got to use our community for that. We do. And, uh, there's, there's some disempowerment to being, uh, in poverty too, like for both the men and the women and therefore the children. Uh, examples of one that I can speak to is early years of my kid's school. Uh, it's a it's a private school, we're on scholarship there. Um, they'd always ask, and what do you have to bring to community? Uh, Ira was, uh, my kid's dad was a, a carpenter and a sustainable building advisor and you know and I so everything he did I learned too because I could take tests really well and edit papers and good at research and um and plus I've done uh done construction work over the years and whatever whatever hustle I could find so he, anything he'd offer up, he'd get shot down. Um, we were not the rich people in school, so our voices didn't matter. And uh, it ended up that all those with money, when they were, uh, their, their perspectives ended up being wrong about something that was a huge financial investment. And right. ours was right, but we never got credit for that, uh, no matter how loudly we said it. And it, the question always was, and what do you have co- to contribute? And I finally turned to him one day and said, well, this is what we kept saying. You didn't listen. We tried to contribute and you shot it down. So, like, I'll, I'll be back when I can. Right. Um, and instead of directly contributing to the school, now it's individuals because you know, this mama or that mama or that papa needs support and they're able to, if they get that support, are able in turn to support the school and they're heard because they're financially uh, 
more stable than we are. It ends up working out. We're still able to invest, but not directly. There's that indirect investment. But, you know, legally, when you're poor, you're going to lose. And that's Mm -hmm. just the yeah, it's supposed to be injustice for all when you got money. Well, yeah, well. Uh, and, and this is this is the part of our, our vision with the anti-fragile playbook is to create these containers, these spaces where people can bring more of themselves forward just to revalue those parts of ourselves that we've put away because we don't get paid for it. You mm, know, right. so so we as humans, <clears throat> this is, we're, we're transformational that that we're here to be transformed and to transform others and to grow not to be transactional and not to be traded as a commodity right not to bow down to kiss the ring you know the the, the one of the the big stories that we've been told is that you know rich people are smarter it's like no they're richer that's it they're in exactly. one angle they're measured that their 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 number is higher but Right. When you think about the experience you had, and I, I know we've all had those experiences where you're quietly applying wisdom capital and they're just looking for the dollar capital. And, right. and it's only in retrospect because, look, all of us saw 2020 coming. We didn't know it was going to be a pandemic. We didn't know what you were going to name the container it is, but we saw right. this coming. And so yeah. people sitting I mean, there fact, being pundits about it now going like, oh, I wonder how this happened. It's like, y'all, it's really not that No, hard. but seriously, I, I saw it coming so clearly that I literally told my sons, don't accrue large um, debts for education because education costs are going to collapse because it's an unsustainable market. You just have to look at it agnostically using just just use mainstream data. Right. And the other thing is that recessions happen. They always have. They always will. There's no such thing as an economic boom that goes indefinitely. So this isn't any hocus pocus. But to suggest that to those who have um, um, uh, basically a dependency upon money, they, they, they tell themselves that, that we've finally figured out the trick that's going to break that cycle. So you could tell them historically we have had a longer period of prosperity than we've had in a very long time. That means we're due a recession. And these are the markers using mainstream stuff. They say, well, I don't know about that. Because according to so-and-so, the stock market's going to look really great, right? And so at the same time, they're like, wow, nobody saw this coming. Nobody's signing up for school. I wonder if there's going to be a uh, something. And like, well, yeah, you could use mainstream data to do that. But as Ruth had said, those with, with a lot of money are, are afforded sort of maybe too much uh, influence as if they have, are the purveyors of wisdom, even if it's irrational what they're saying, right? And so like, I've got these two boys, I've told them, don't, don't, <laughs> don't add up a bunch of student debt at all. I'm telling you, it isn't going to make any sense. Just like uh, higher education doesn't make any sense right now, right? Like, why would you spend so much money if you're not going to actually earn that much and pay it back? Um, it's a super simple uh, uh, cost benefit analysis. And uh, so, you know, here they're in their early 20s and they don't have any debt and they, they're still, you know, they're really focused on vocation uh, so they can, they can support themselves, but they're not accruing a ton of debt. And um, uh, I'm glad they listened to their pops because I was right. <laughs> and it wasn't that I was right just because I know it's because the data was right there. Uh, economies go through lapses. They, they, they come and go, right? Yeah. They no mystery to it. We just saw it coming. And it was, it took a pandemic to kick it off, but we knew it was coming. And, yeah. and, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we have, uh, we're probably going to need to wind this up. Oh, right. okay. Because you need to go play it's in the snow. To you. 
<laughs> oh, I need yeah, to man. watch Mrs. and make some food for Matt and myself and such too. Right. That's okay. I mean, it's it's beautiful here. Um, what I was getting to say, like starting to say, was the way I feel about him isn't all sparkly and rainbows. And then I was sitting here at the window. I'm like, whoa, it's really sparkly and rainbowy out. <laughs> <laughs> Like the natural world's more sparkly and rainbowy. It's uh, it's kind of cool. And there's yeah. bears here and moose and big cats and things that will eat me too. Mm. Definitely <laughs> not the top food chain at all. Yeah. Well, it's good chatting with you. I'm looking forward to catching up. It'll probably be a phone yeah. call in a day or so. Thanks you know. for sharing yeah. your story. Yeah, yeah thanks. I appreciate guys. it. I think. And thanks uh, for trying to build opportunities for others. Well, it's going to take a lot of work to bring it to fruition, but um, my, I'm finding that there's a lot of people in community who have a similar vision and that by working together, we can make it happen. Yeah. And it, it's Absolutely. the women who are leading the way. And, and there's men like you and a couple of other people I know who are supporting that vision. And so it's, it's going to take all of us together to make it happen. It's not a one person thing at all. Um, yeah. Well, and, and, and I'm going to make a, a, a pitch for 214 Alpha as the right platform for it, too. Do it. Yeah. Oh. I, you know, it was because we, when we had talked about Community Renaissance Market earlier, and that was 10 years ago. And if I had had access to that toolkit and the people behind it, good Lord, be a whole different world right now. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, well, it is a whole different world, and we get to do it again. We just get to do it cheaper, yeah. more effectively. I kind of dig it. Exactly. <laughs> right. We get to take the wisdom right. well, and, and make something else. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I mean, of course, likewise, I like welcome with Ruth. Find your Ruth. So, uh, <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I hope you have a good afternoon. It was good chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks. You guys okay. too. Thanks. All have right. fun. All right. Bye, guys. Yeah.